You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. Greetings, this is Pastor Brian Chilton here at BellatorChristie.com. We thank you for listening to this podcast and for uh, listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. Uh, we do want to remind you, first and foremost, uh, to go to BellatorChristie.com. Be sure to click subscribe and enter in your email address, and you'll receive all of these podcasts as well as the uh, articles that are posted on the website in your inbox. And the best thing is, it's absolutely free. So we encourage you to go to bellatorchristie.com and be sure to subscribe. Also, this podcast can be found on uh, podcatchers like iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and really now for the first time ever on the Stitcher app as well. And we're looking to expand that uh, in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, last week, uh, I, we I presented to you a message uh, brought to you by yours truly at uh, Huntsville Baptist Church. Uh, by the way, we do want to welcome you to Huntsville Baptist Church. If you don't have a church home and you're in the North Carolina area, we encourage you to come join us at Huntsville Baptist Church in Yakinville, North Carolina. Uh, but last week, we began a series entitled Mere Christianity, uh, so named after the popular book presented by one C.S. Lewis, uh, by the same name. And in that book, he discusses the core fundamentals uh, of the Christian faith, those things that make the Christian faith what it is, uh, the, the most important things to have in one's faith. And last week, we brought to you, uh, I brought to you some scriptures pertaining to the fundamental of God's existence. We learned last week that God is transcendent, that he's beyond the scope of creation, uh, that he's also very personal, working within the scope of creation, uh, and we also learned about his eternal nature as well. This week, we're going to look at the second uh, message in this series, which will be about a nine or maybe even a ten part series, as we discuss the fundamentals of Christ's identity. Uh, from, from, from times of antiquity even now, modern heresies and ancient heresies as well uh, have, have often stemmed from a misunderstanding of Christ's identity. 
uh, individuals like the area like Arius of uh, of uh, Alexandria in the early 300s. He tried to make a claim that many Jehovah Witnesses make today that Christ is not divine. And you also had the Docetists uh, that John combated. This would later turn into Gnosticism in the second century. Uh, they claim, well, Christ is divine, but he's not human. For us, to under, for us to hold a proper understanding of who Christ is, we must accept the fact that Christ is both divine and human. So in this message delivered at Huntsville Baptist Church, I'm going to go through the fundamentals of Christ's identity. Again, we hope that you, we hope you're blessed and enjoy this message. And if you are, if you receive a blessing from this message, be sure to share uh, this this uh, this podcast uh, on your social media feed and tell your friends about the Bellator Christie podcast and BellatorChristie.com. We again thank you for listening, and now let's join the message already in progress. Uh, we're continuing our uh, study, our t- study in uh, called Mere Christianity, uh, the fundamentals of the Christian doctrine. And as we've mentioned all along, there are many things on which we have the opportunity to disagree uh, and, and be within the umbrella of Christianity. Uh, you know, we, we may disagree on certain aspects of theology. We may uh, disagree on certain interpretations of, of uh, Scripture. But there are certain things that serve as the foundations of our faith of which if we d- differ from these aspects, that we find ourselves outside the umbrella of the Christian faith. There, is a, there was an early creed written uh, that uh, demonstrates the teachings and beliefs of the early apostles of the church. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And you find many of these fundamentals in that creed. And I think we find many of these things uh, th- highlighted, uh, of course, many times over in Scripture. Uh, and we, we are given strong language as it pertains to the importance of these doctrines. Last week we spoke about uh, the fundamentals of God's existence. We talked about the fact that that He is eternal, that He is transcendent beyond the scope of creation. He's also eminently working within creation. Uh, He's not a deadbeat dad, but He's very involved and very interested in our lives and very interested in creation. We even learned that even the fact that we're still here is testimony to God's continued work because if He ever took His hands off of our lives, or if he ever took his hands off of creation itself, we would cease to exist. That's how powerful God is. This week I want to take a look at another important fundamental of Christianity, uh, what C.S. Lewis calls mere Christianity, the fundamentals of Christian faith. We want to take a look at the fundamentals of Christ's identity. Jesus asked his disciples one time, he says, Who do men say that I am? And they gave a long laundry list of who people thought Jesus to be. That he's one of the uh, uh, prophets, uh, that he's a good moral teacher or something of the sort. And Jesus pushes the question even farther. And he says, who do you say that I am? And that's the fundamental question each and every one of us must ask ourselves. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And we're given two uh, clues to this. In Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 and following. And also in 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, and also in the fourth chapter, verses 2 through 3. So we're going to look at these passages of Scripture, and we do encourage everyone who can and is able to please stand as we pay homage to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. Now, to heighten the impact of what you're getting ready to read, I need to make a point here. Throughout the New Testament, there's what's called pre-New Testament writings. And that is that these, so there are certain things within the New Testament that actually predate... Uh, the New Testament itself. 
These are things that the apostles and prophets received very early on. And you're getting ready to read one of these very things. Paul quotes a hymn that he received five years after Jesus was resurrected. This hymn is not original to Paul, but it's something he actually quotes. This shows the beliefs of the very earliest church. Historically speaking, this is of extreme importance. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 9 is another one of these as well. But let's, let's read this. Paul quoting this, uh, reminding the, the folks in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And here he begins quoting this early, early hymn. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's take a look at the first letter of John, not the gospel, but the first letter of John uh, towards the very end of your copy of God's Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. John, who is also the writer of the gospel that bears his name, the fourth gospel, in the gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Now the first few words here in this letter, he connects back to that point that he makes in the gospel. That which was from the beginning, he's looking back to the fact that Jesus is in fact the Logos, the divine God of all creation, uh, who was uh, from the beginning, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare it to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let's flip over to the fourth chapter of 1 John, same book, fourth chapter. And when you're there, let me hear you say amen. amen. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every teaching that's out there, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, but by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which, I mean, is this, is this important that we get right? Obviously it is. John says the apostle who leaned upon the breast of Jesus, who was trained by Jesus who by every means, if you were going to gauge his, his education with Jesus, received a Ph.D. in theology from Jesus himself, says that every spirit that does not get this right is Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. To kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the bountiful blessings of life, and we thank you for the opportunity to come together to study the importance of your identity. 
We thank you, Jesus, Lord, for loving us the way you do. And we just ask that through your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes that we would see, our hearts, or our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The highlight of one Christmas pageant, uh, one Christmas play, was, was seen at the very end of the play. Uh, all the uh, organizers had had it planned that at the end of the play, they were going to place a light in the manger to shine upon Jesus. And they were going to shut off all the other lights in the sanctuary so that only the light shining upon Jesus would be the one that was visible, the one that was seen. And this would highlight the fact that Jesus was, in fact, the light of the world. Well, the play came, and sure enough, it went off as they had planned. They turned off the lights. The lights were shining on Jesus, the only one shining at that time. And at the end of the play, they turned off the light shining on Jesus. And to everyone's laughter, a little boy says, Hey, who turned off Jesus? Turn it back on. Who turned off Jesus? Well, beloved, I want to submit to you today that it's very important that we get the identity of Jesus right or we will, as the boy claimed of, of the organizers, will turn off Jesus. In fact, we'll be praying to the wrong Jesus. We'll be praying to the wrong person. You know, since the, the era of enlightenment, people have sought to have what they call the search for the historical Jesus. Frederick uh, D. Schleiermacher, a German theologian, who also inspired another guy like Rudolf Buchmann, who tried to, in his words, demythologize the Bible, which has also led to the Jesus Seminar, one John Dominic Croson and many others, to, to, to claim that what we have in the Bible is a mythologized version of who Jesus was. And so we need to get back to the Jesus of history to see Jesus without all the fluff of the miraculous, without all the fluff of all these other stories that are told of Him. Well, here's the problem with that. Once you start taking out the miraculous, you take out Jesus. And what you eventually have, and this is why the, the, many of these quests have, have really failed and, and floundered, because what eventually happens is that these scholars will make Jesus look exactly like themselves. They won't have him look like the actual first century person that existed. They'll make them look like themselves, a, a reflection of who they are. And in fact, many people have even said that these quests often reveal more about the ones investigating than about the Jesus of history himself. The, the data every single time, and this is something that God used to bring me back to a stronger faith, to bring me back to the ministry. The data reveals very clear that the Jesus of history is the one and same Christ of faith. You cannot divide the two. They are the one and the same. You see, to, be, to have Jesus of history, you must understand that Jesus is 100% divine and he's 100% human. How do we work that out? How do we make sense of that? Well, it's difficult, I'll grant you that. But the Bible gives us clear evidence that Jesus is both God and both man. And this makes sense when we understand the incarnation. Now, in the insert of your bulletin, you'll see uh, this, this came from a book that I just have finished. It's a wonderful book uh, by Michael Horton called Co uh, Core Christianity. Uh, and it's basically talking about the same things we're discussing, the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And he lists for you there in the insert of your bulletin five ancient heresies that get it wrong. You see, this is something, the moment you try to take away Jesus' humanity or you try to take away Jesus' divinity, you take away Jesus. It's clearly put. 
You see, the Ebionites, uh, they're the, from the 2nd and 3rd century, they rejected the virgin birth. Some people today say, well, it's not important to, to, to believe the virgin birth. Wait till next week. We're going to talk about that very thing next week. Uh, they, they, they claim Jesus was not God, but just a good moral teacher. You heard that before? <laughs> Ever heard anyone say that? Jesus was not God. He's just a good moral teacher. Well, this was deemed by the stamp of heresy because it's not what the Bible teaches. Arianism is, uh, came from around the 4th century, early 300s. Uh, one Arius of Athanasius, he claimed that Jesus was the first created being, but he really wasn't God. He was created by God, was the first created being. Obviously, at the Nicene Council in 325, it was stamped heresy because it's not what the Bible teaches. Docetism, this is actually something that John confronts in his first letter. Uh, this actually evolved into Gnosticism. They believed, well, that Jesus was divine. Jesus was divine, but he wasn't really a human being. He just looked human. He had all the traits of humanity. Uh, he looked like humanity, but he really wasn't a human being. Obviously, John the Apostle stamps that heresy, not in accordance with reality, not in accordance with, with what the Bible says. Nestorianism came around uh, the 5th century. They claimed that in Jesus there were two people really in Jesus. So in other words, it's like he had multiple personality disorder. You had uh, on one side the divine Jesus and you had on the other side the human Jesus and they were always in conflict. Again, stamped heresy, not what the Bible teaches. And there was a monophysitism, I guess is how you pronounce that. And this is, a, this is claimed that, that the divine was absorbed in the human and was just really failed to be. Again, beloved, every single time you get a heresy, uh, most times it comes from this very fact. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is 100% divine and he's 100% human. Amen? He is the ultimate God-man. And if you take out either aspect of that equation you lose the identity of Jesus himself. So let's take a look at this. We're first beginning in the book of uh, Philippians, looking back at the passage we just read. We first of all see the fundamental of Christ's divine nature. Jesus was 100% God. When we talk about the virgin birth, when we talk about the Christmas story, we understand that God came and took on flesh. Uh, we see that though he was in the form of God in verse 5, he, he did not e uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Again, this is an ancient hymn that dates all the way back to within three to five years of the actual resurrection. There's no time for legend to develop. This is something that the earliest church believed that Jesus was God. In fact, we even see, uh, as I'll point out a little bit later, that uh, there was a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius who even admitted the fact that these early Christians worshipped Jesus as if they were worshipping a God, the way he put it. You see, John even says in, uh, uh, in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Throughout this passage of Scripture, even in Philippians, we see that Jesus was divine. And so his divinity is identified in three different ways. First of all, Christ is identified by his divine pre-existence. Again, Jesus being the only begotten means that he was the only one who was uncreated. He came and took on flesh. That's what that means to be begotten. He wasn't created, but he took on flesh. He pre-existed before he ever was born. That will just make your mind do cartwheels if you really stop and think about that. Uh, but uh, well, if you think that does it to us, what did Mary feel uh, when, she, uh, when she had Jesus herself? 
Now, Paul, um, John, excuse me, in his first gospel, in his gospel, the only gospel he writes, says, in the beginning, that is, before the beginning of creation, was the Word, Word implying Jesus, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. We go on down to verse 14, and we see, see that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal God left the portals of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt among us. What power. What amazing, what amazing truth there is in that, that God would leave the throne of heaven and come down and take on flesh. Why? Because He loves you. He loves you with an eternal love. You even see this whenever Thomas proclaimed, uh, when he saw the risen Jesus, do you remember what he said? You remember what he said? He said, my Lord and my God. Craig Keener writes in his commentary saying that uh, those familiar uh, with this, uh, John's Gospel would, would have known that Domitian was an emperor ruling there and, and wanted to go by the title of Lord God. Those familiar with the Greek, uh, pre-Greek, Christian Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint would have already recognized this as a divine title. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're essentially saying Jesus is God. That's the way they would have understood that back in the Christian days. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus is God. Amen? Now understand this. There's an ancient confession. Romans 10, 9, you probably quoted this many times. This ancient confession, like Philippians 2, like 1 Corinthians 15, dates back to within three to five years of the actual resurrection of Jesus. Paul quotes this saying that if you confess with your mouth, what? Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It is absolutely of the utmost importance that we get this right. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Amen? Amen. That was weak. Amen? Amen? Jesus is God come in the flesh. So if someone comes knocking on your door trying to tell you otherwise, take them back in your, in your copy of God's Word to the verses we just read. Take them back to these verses and show them and tell them, no, Jesus is God come in the flesh. Now think about this, beloved. Now we, we, there's a hotel uh, near us, there in Yakinville, and um, it, it's not known for being one of the better establishments. We'll just put it like that. Many of you know what I'm talking about. But there's, there's a hotel in Yakima. It's not known as being one of the better establishments. It's there on Main Street, and I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm recording this, and I won't go any farther than that. Most of you know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine if a multi-billionaire left his or her uh, multi-billion-dollar complex and chose to come and live in that particular hotel? Lisa, can you imagine that? <laughs> I couldn't imagine that. But think about this. This is what the Bible is telling us. In a greater manner of fashion, speaking about this, God left the portals of His eternal heaven and came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. It's essentially, even more so, like a billionaire leaving his throne and coming to live at this particular hotel. God Himself left the portals of heaven and took on flesh and dwelt among us. There's great power when we start to think about that, folks. 
And that's not something we need to sacrifice in our Christianity. We must have this right in our theology. We understand of His pre-existence. We also understand that it's identified by Christ's divine perfection. Paul notes that Jesus emptied Himself into, to enter to humanity. But he, but he still retained His divine identity. Paul teaches that he who knew no sin became sin in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Simon Peter was one who spent countless hours with Jesus. Now, beloved, let's just be honest. When you spend a lot of time with, with, with a person, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, and you get snowed in and you spend a lot of time with one another, does it always work out well? <laughs> you start sometimes getting on one another's nerves, don't you? And then you start nitpicking and thinking, well, wait a minute, why does that person do this? Or why does that person do that? Or, you know, all these things begin happening. Am I wrong or am I right? Amen? I mean, we all do that. Simon Peter, Simon Peter spent more time with Jesus than perhaps anyone else. Yet Simon Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.19 that Jesus was like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He is saying that Jesus was absolutely perfect. If anyone could peg something on Jesus, it would have been Simon Peter. But Simon Peter says Jesus was the epitome of perfection. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. He was the, he was the sinless Lamb of Almighty God. The writer of Hebrew, the Hebrews notes in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, no matter what temptation you face, He was faced with the exact same temptations that you are today, yet He overcame. He was absolutely perfect. He was the greatest moral example that any of us could have. You know, I, I hear people say that, that this person is an example, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all need to have heroes of the faith. We have heroes that we look up to and we, we, we admire. But let me, let me just say that if you're looking for the perfect model of how to be, Jesus is the only one of perfection that we need to model our lives afterwards. Amen? He's, he's, he's the only one that gets it right. He's the only model of perfection because He is God come in flesh. He's also identified by His divine mediation. Why was it necessary for God to enter into humanity? Because that's what it took to save us. If there was a flawed human being dying for the sins of someone else, that's not going to work. Because if a flawed human being was dying for someone else's sins, it's not going to work because they'd be dying for their own sins. It took a sinless, perfect Lamb of God without blemish, without a spot, to die for your sins to give you a chance into heaven. And that's exactly what Jesus was. He is the mediator, the only mediator between God and humanity. Amen? He's the only mediator between God and humanity. In fact, Philippians 2.8 says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 1 John 2.1 says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Paul states that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus in 1 Timothy 2.5. Listen, the fact of the matter is, is we can't save ourselves. We never could. We requ it required a perfect Lamb of God to come and take your sin upon Himself in order for you to be saved. And that's what we have with Jesus Christ. God who left the portals of heaven and came and dwelt among us. What a powerful Christ. What a powerful God we serve. But understand, it's not only that Christ is divine, 
But Christ, we find also, is human as well. So we see the fundamental of, of Christ's human identity. Uh, for the aspect of his ident human identity, we look at three different things. First and foremost, we, we go back over to 1 John. Let's look back to 1 John. And notice that 1 John says, That which was from the beginning, he's pointing back to the Logos, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a figment of our imagination. The risen Jesus was not some type of mass hallucination. In fact, the Bible says in one of these early attestations, one of these early texts that dates to within three to five years of the resurrection, that over 500 people saw him alive. They only counted men, so I believe you're justified in thinking that there may have been 2,000 people or more who saw Jesus alive at one time. It's hard to have a hallucination like that, folks. Everyone seeing and, and him doing infallible proofs to identify the fact that he was, in fact, the Son of God who had been risen from the dead. He's identified, number one, that he had a human body. They understand the fact that they had seen him, they had heard from him, they had touched him. Uh, throughout uh, the, the Gospels, we see evidence of the fact that Jesus proved himself time and time and time again that he was flesh and bone. He wasn't some spirit or ghost that had risen from the dead. He was resurrected physically back from the dead. He ate fish. He ate fish. He was touched. Thomas put his finger in, in Christ's hand. Mary came and they touched him. And he says, listen, let go of me. Uh, don't hold on to me because I have not yet ascended into the Father. It is proven time and time and time again that he had a body. And he was, had a physical body. And John even goes so far that to say that if someone says that Jesus has not come in the flesh, that, that, that spirit is not from God, but is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is in the world already. Jesus again in John 20, 27 tells Thomas, put your finger here, see my hand, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Amen. Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% human being. Which means that his body felt the same type of things that yours does. He felt the same type of things that we experience in life. When he was hot, he sweated. When he was cold, he shivered. When he went without food, he became hungry, which I'm sure right now you're looking down and says, will he ever get done so I can eat my lunch? It's coming. Just bear with me. When he, when he became hungry, he would, whenever he became hungry, he desired food. When he went without uh, fluids, he became thirsty. He experienced all the things that you do in life because he was 100% human because he had a body. He's identified by his mind. Christ also is identified as a human being because of his mind. Luke 2.52 says that the boy Jesus increased in wisdom. Uh, uh, Hebrews says that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. How is it that this, that this Christ is both human and divine? I don't know how to explain it, but it's what the Bible tells us. And it's the fundamental of Christ's identity that he was 100% God and he was 100% human. He experiences the things that you do in life. Here's the wonderful thing about this. We don't serve a Savior who, who doesn't know what you're going through. He's not, he's not far off and, and unconcerned with your life. He's never experienced anything that you do. He's experienced most everything that you've experienced in life. He suffered loss. He suffered, he suffered many things in his life. And he knows how to help you more than anyone else can because he had a body, he had a mind, and Jesus also had emotions. When facing the cross, Luke tells us in Luke twenty-two forty-four, 
He, he became so intensely afraid of what was coming because he knew what was coming. Can you imagine that? That you know that you're going to die? I've often said, you know, sometimes we want to know when is my time. I don't know that I want to know because I'd probably just worry about it. I'd be thinking about it. If it was 20 years from now, I'd be worrying about it now. And as the time got closer, I'd worry about it even more until I'd worry myself to death. May even draw my day of death sooner than later because I was worried so much about it. Jesus knew the time that he was going to die. And he, he sweated like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus became angry at the deception of the money changers in Luke 19, 45 and 46. And chased out the money changers, yet he did not sin. He was absolutely perfect in doing so. Uh, he also mourned and was saddened at the state of Jerusalem and the future it faced in Luke 19, 41-44. At the death of Lazarus, the shortest verse in the English Bible is found in the, in the book of John where it says Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. He had emotions. He knows what it's like to suffer loss. He knows what it's like to experience the sorrow of this life. But He also knows what it's like to, joy, to have joy. Because he, he, I think he became enthralled and I think he became joyful when he asked Simon Peter, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think, I think Jesus was enthralled. He was joyful because Simon Peter, he got it. He had it. He knew. And he said he had that gift from the Father. You see, beloved, it's very important that we get this right. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, we've been quoting from his book from time to time. He puts it quite well. There are many people in society that try to say, well, Jesus was just a good man. He wasn't really God. He was just a good man. Or there are some people who say, well, he was God, but he didn't really come in the flesh. It's not going to work. I think C.S. Lewis puts it quite well when he writes these words. What I am trying here to prevent anyone saying is the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the, of the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that option to us. Or he has not left that option open to us. He never intended to. And I say a big old hearty amen. Jesus asks each and every one of us upon planet earth today... Who do you say that I am? And C.S. Lewis later writes that he is, in fact, the Son of Almighty God. There's no other way around it. He is the Son of Almighty God, come in the flesh to take away our sins. He has not left us another option. So the question we leave you today is, who do you say Jesus is? When we enter through the portals of heaven, when we stand before the judgment seat of God, we're going to be asked that, that question. I believe it's going to be, oh, God's going to peer into our hearts and see what our response to that very question is. Who do you say Jesus is? And by your words, you're saved. By your, by your words, your actions, you're saved. Do you claim that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God? 
Or do you reject him off as some of these ancient heresies have? Do you try to corrupt and corrode the identity of Jesus? Or do we fall before his feet upon who he really is, who he really was and is and evermore will be? The eternal Son of God, who was, who is, and forevermore will be. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Have you received Him as your Lord and your Savior? Have you accepted Him as the divine Son of Almighty God who has no beginning and has no end, who is the Alpha and who is the Omega, the beginning and the end, before the beginning and after the end and everything in between? Have you received Him as the Savior and God of your life? If not, let me encourage you today to come and fall before His feet, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, Because, beloved, the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. But we have the choice to do so now and receive salvation or to do so later in acknowledgement that we missed our opportunity to receive the salvation that was given to us. So, as you're here today and as you're praying right now, let me ask you this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Again, if you've never received Him, Let me encourage you to come and receive Him today before it's eternally too late. It's important that we get this right. It's it's upon which the very faith that we hold as Christians stands. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior today? Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Son and who He is. We thank You, Lord, that, that Your Son is not just a mere moral teacher, but He's something far greater than that. We thank You, Lord, that Your Son is not just some, just some spiritual manifestation, but it's something far greater than that. That Your Son, Jesus, is in fact the incarnate Son of God who came to save us and to set us free. Lord, You told us that we should know the truth and this truth will set us free. So we, Lord, want to ask You that through Your Holy Spirit this morning, if there's anyone in here who's never received You, as their Savior and God, as who's never fallen before your feet and received you as the divine Son of God, the Lord, that you would press upon their hearts to receive you today. We live in the age of grace. We live in a time where we're given the opportunity to receive you and to respond to your grace. But that, that day will, it will soon come to a close and then the day of judgment will commence. Lord, move and impress upon each and every heart today to evaluate their lives, to see whether or not that they know that they know that they know that they've been born again. And if there's anyone here that's never made that commitment, never made that decision, we ask, Lord, that you would bring them to salvation this, this morning. And we'll give you all the thanks and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? Amen. And that's our prayer for you as well. If you're listening to the podcast and you've never made a profession of faith, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we encourage you to do that today. Uh, it's just as simple as, as coming to Him, admitting the fact that you're a sinner, uh, admitting the fact that you need His salvation. Uh, none of us can save ourselves. That's why it required God coming down uh, and doing the task for us, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So first of all, it simply is ABC. First of all, admit the fact that you need forgiveness. Admit the fact that you are a sinner in need of salvation. And secondly, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in his divine nature, his human nature, and believe in the work that he has done. And believing is not only just an intellectual assent, but also 
uh, trusting in Him, uh, depending upon Him, and 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 trusting Him, taking Him at His promises, and uh, and lastly, confession, uh, confess. Uh, your sins to him confess uh, accept it uh, you know and then and then confess to others the salvation that you have received and uh, and believe it hold on to it and then also that leads us into daily devotions it also leads us to find a good church home and uh, and it's important for us to be with other like-minded believers and so i encourage you again if you're in the, in our area if you're in the north carolina area we do encourage you to come and join us uh, at, at our church, but if um, if you're not, I mean, the, the important, the import, most important thing is to find a good Bible believing church and to uh, and to join the congregation and to become part of uh, of the congregation because the Christian life, the Christian walk, is really about uh, being part of a family, a large family, uh, which in fact transcends even our wildest imaginations because there'll be even every tribe and tongue every language imaginable uh, worshiping the lord in his heavenly kingdom uh, we do pray and trust that if you've never made that commitment today that you will do so today and if you uh, need any information be sure to contact me by email you can email me at brian b-r-i-a-n chilton c-h-i-l-t-o-n brian chilton at bellatorchristi.com uh, if you have any questions about this. Again, we thank you for joining us today on the Bellator Christi podcast. May God richly bless you, and we'll see you back next time as we remember that the truth shall set us free. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. Visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas.